Exodus chapter number 8. And I'd like to begin reading at the beginning of the chapter. Most of you, as you turn there, will recognize the portion of Scripture that we're in. Uh, We know it commonly as the ten plagues upon Egypt. And uh, here in chapter number 8, we see the uh, third miracle, the second judgment meted out. I'd like to begin reading in verse number 1. The Word of God says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, Go unto Pharaoh, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. And if thou refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all thy borders with frogs. And the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into thine house, and into thy bedchamber, and upon thy bed, and into the house of thy servants, and upon thy people, and into thine ovens, and into thy kneading troughs. And the frogs shall come up both on thee, and upon, all, upon thy people, and upon all thy servants. And the Lord spake unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Stretch forth thine hand with thy rod over the streams, over the rivers, and over the ponds, and cause frogs to come up upon the land of Egypt. And Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, And the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs upon the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go that they may do sacrifice unto the Lord. And Moses said unto Pharaoh, Glory over me. When shall I entreat for thee? and for thy servants, and for thy people, to destroy the frogs from thee and thy houses, that they may remain in the river only. And he said, Tomorrow. And he said, Be it according to thy word, that thou mayest know that there is none like unto the Lord our God. And the frogs shall depart from thee, and from thy houses, and from thy servants, and from thy people, they shall remain in the river only. Now let's read verses 8 and 9 once more. And, uh, and ver- verses 9 and 10, and then we'll pray. And Moses said unto Pharaoh, Glory over me. When shall I entreat for thee and for thy servants and for thy people to destroy the frogs from thee and thy houses, that they may remain in the river only? And he said, Tomorrow. And he said, Be it according to thy word, that thou mayest know that there is none like unto the Lord our God. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank You for the privilege it is to be in Your house. And Lord, here gathered with Your people and Your Word and Your Spirit in the midst, we ask that, Father, You would do a work that only You can do. Now, Lord, You know each and every heart that is here. You know what our deepest needs are. Father, I'm sure there are some amongst us that are haughty that need to be abased and some that are discouraged that need to be uplifted. And Father, in a group this size, it wouldn't surprise me to know that there might be some here that are lost from the love of God, alienated from the Beloved. And Father, I pray that You'd show them their need this morning. I pray, Father, that they would come to You, that they would ask forgiveness of their sins, that they would call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be eternally saved. And Father, inasmuch as You do these works in our hearts, we'll be sure to give You the praise, honor, and glory that belongs to You. Lord, we love You, and we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, as we've read in Exodus chapter number 8, one of the most astounding portions of Scripture is uh, the ten plagues upon the land of Egypt. Uh, Ever since the Lord did these works in the land of Egypt, science, falsely so-called, has been seeking for some opportunity to discredit what God did. I'd say to you there are some portions of Scripture 
that are pretty controversial in this world. It's not controversial with the Lord. It's settled forever in heaven. Somebody say amen to that. But uh, as far as this world is concerned, they're pretty controversial. And uh, the book of Jonah is one of those controversial books. And the book of Daniel is one of those supposed controversial books. And this portion of the book of Exodus has been disputed and, and has, as many have seemed and sought to discount it in the mind of those that believe the Word of God. But as we have this Bible in front of us and as we hold a faith in our hearts that this is the Word of God, we have no doubt that things happened exactly as the Bible said that they happened. God said to Pharaoh, you must let the Jewish people go. He refused to do so. And uh, one of these ten plagues was the frogs that came up upon the land of Egypt. But the thing that interests me this morning is the exchange that took place between Pharaoh and Moses. Moses goes in before Pharaoh and he tells him, you know, all you have to do is uh, release the children of Israel, ask me to pray for you, turn from your sins, call upon the Lord, and these frogs can be gone in a moment. Now, Pharaoh believes this, and the reason we know he believes this is because he called for Moses. And so he believes that God is capable of doing this. He believes that Moses is capable of interceding for him. He understands that the frogs are a plague upon the land of Egypt. And yet when faced with the question, when? Isn't that what it says? Look down at verse number 9. Moses says, when shall I entreat for thee? Pharaoh answers, tomorrow. What an astounding fact that is that in the midst of all the suffering, of all of the despair, of all of the discouragement, of all of the danger that no doubt this plague brought upon his land, still Pharaoh wants one more night with the frogs in Egypt. And I'd like to spend a few moments and preach to you on that thought, one more night with the frogs. What is it that could cause Pharaoh to make such a decision? Well, you know, it seems pretty far-fetched. And I know that as you sit there in your pew, you're thinking to yourself, not me, preacher. I'd never want one more night with frogs living in my house, crawling in my bed and and climbing into my oven. Not me, preacher. I'd never want that. And yet I find that there is a striking parallel that is drawn between Pharaoh's actions and the actions of many of us. You see, Pharaoh understood that these frogs were a plague and a punishment from God. Pharaoh understood that if he'd just buckle, if he'd just give in, if he'd just call upon the Lord, if he'd just ask God to take it away, that God would take it away. There was no doubt in his mind that God was able. There was no doubt in his mind that Moses was willing to pray for him. There was no doubt in his mind that he'd be better off without the frogs. But still, he said tomorrow, and as we sit here today, there's some of us, that there's some sin in our lives. We know it doesn't need to be there. We know it's harming us. We know God will forgive us. We know Christ will intercede for us. We know that it's according to our Word. And all we have to do is get on our knees before a thrice holy God. Oh my, and ask His forgiveness, and He'll forgive us. And yet we say, tomorrow, tomorrow. Imagine with me for a moment what He lived with. You imagine these frogs crawling all over everything. I, there, there's, I, frogs don't really bother me. I'll go ahead and tell you that. We, some of us, every once in a while, we'll get out and do some frog gigging. And, uh, but I still make Brother Kerry clean the frogs. Amen. I, I, I don't, you know, frogs aren't that big of a problem for me. I'll tell you something I hate. I hate mice. Don't you hate mice? 
we moved out to the country. We've always sort of lived in the country, and, and you can be, you know, you can judge me if you want, but part of living out in the country is every once in a while, you're going to get a little mouse who's going to get in your house, and he's going to run around, he's going to try to find something to eat, and he's going to zip here, there, and everywhere. And if you live in the city, and that ain't uh, reality to you, you probably got rats living in your attic. But for those of us that live out in, in the country, uh, that's just a, a problem that you deal with. It was like that growing up. It was like that at the house we used to live at. And uh, come to find out over the weekend, it's like that even at the house we moved into. Me and my wife, we were sitting on the couch, and uh, she's not particularly scared of mice. She hates camel crickets. I don't know what it is about a camel cricket, but, friend, I mean, she'll, her eyelids turn inside out when she sees a camel cricket. But mice don't really bother all that much, and, and they don't scare me, but I hate them. Amen? And uh, we were sitting there on the couch, and, uh, and she was sitting beside me, and all of a sudden I felt it, that, you know. And I said, honey, what, what is the matter? And she said, that mouse. I said, what mouse? And I looked down, a little bitty thing, probably about that big, just zipping around and everything. And now I've got to be honest with you. I, I, I'm not scared of them. They don't really bother me. But the other night, I woke up in the middle of the night, and I swear that thing was gnawing on the back of my neck. You know? There is just something about a pest, something about, uh, about an affliction, something about something living in your house that just don't belong there. And you imagine as they walk through the land of Egypt, and you can hear, you can see, if you will, little boys walking up and down the road, and you can hear the squishing under their feet, but it ain't mud, it's frogs. You can imagine as the workers are out in the field trying to harvest, and the sickle goes in for the grain and comes back swathed in blood, and it's not their own blood, it's the blood of the frogs. You can imagine as the woman goes and uh, seeks to put a loaf of bread there in the oven, and out jumps a frog and goes to the kneading trough and reaches in, and what she feels it ain't dough, but it's a bunch of frogs. You can imagine how disturbing that was. You can imagine the discomfort that that caused them. If you're like me, anytime there's a pest in the house, you just don't sleep as well as you do otherwise. You lay there in bed and you think you hear it. You lay there in bed and you swear that it ran across your chest. You lay there in bed and you swear that you can smell it. and You, you just imagine that it's crawling all over you. But what if you were in Egypt that night? What if you weren't imagining? What if it really was everywhere that you looked and all in your bed and it permeated every single facet of your life and every single room of your home? But can I tell you that sin's a lot that way too? Sin is that way. Sin never stops where you want it to stop. You can't draw a line in the sand. You can't mark a boundary across your threshold and say, Sin, you stay out. Don't come any further. If you get sin in your life, it'll permeate every room of your house. It'll permeate every facet of your life. Pretty soon, you give, you've heard it a thousand times, but you give the devil an inch and he'll become the ruler in your life. And though he had this discomfort, still he clung to it. Though it was disrupting his everyday life. You know, there's lots of things in our life that disrupt. Uh, you, you think about people that live in sin and that hide sin and all the lies that they have to tell. A lie to cover up a lie to cover up a lie. And all of the discomfort that it causes them. You see the life that has been ravaged by sin and you see the discomfort that it causes. There's people laying down in the hospital right now that wouldn't have to be there. And I want you to listen carefully. I'm not saying everybody in the hospital is there because they committed sin, but you also couldn't tell me that there aren't some people laying down there because they lived a life of sin. You know that's true and I know that's true. You think of the discomfort that it causes. Oh, what discomfort he must have lived with. But then think about the disease that those frogs probably brought. I don't know how clean your frogs are, but when we were growing up, we had a little pond there at the house, and it's still there at Mom and Dad's house. And uh, the frogs that come out of that little pond, they weren't very clean. 
And uh, no doubt they carried diseases. And if they did not carry diseases, no doubt the insects that would have accompanied them. Listen to me. Where you find frogs, you find what? Mosquitoes. Am I right? Where you find frogs, you find mosquitoes. And where you find mosquitoes long enough, you'll find disease. And so no doubt it brought disease into their home. No doubt they had to worry. They, they couldn't scrub long enough. They couldn't wash deep enough. They couldn't do what it took to scrub their life and their home clean of the disease and of the putrefaction and of the danger that these frogs have brought into their home. You know, sin is a lot that way too. Don't you agree? Sin has consequences. We don't like to talk about it. We don't like to think about it, but it's the truth. You get sin in your life. Listen to me carefully. It will take a toll on you. Uh, every sin that a man commits, uh, he commits and it affects the lives of others, but it affects his own body as well. There's people in this room, and I may be a little bit like a broken record today, but you bear with me. There's people in this room that when they get up in the morning, they hurt because of the life that they lived. There's people that when they lay down in bed, they hurt because of the life that they lived, the things that they put in their body, the things that they experience, the life that they live, and they'll live for the rest of their life with the ramifications of that sin. Let me tell you something. You say, preacher, you say that to overburden us. No, I say that to warn those that haven't gone down that path. That listen, just because God forgives you, and God will forgive you, but just because God forgives you, that doesn't mean that you don't still have some consequences for that sin. We see the disease that it brought, but no doubt it brought despair. Don't you know it just got discouraging? I don't know exactly how long that they spent with the frogs there. I know they spent one night longer than they had to. But no doubt it got discouraging. Don't you know they got sick of every time they opened a pot up, there was frogs in it? Don't you know they got sick of every time they opened a door, frogs came hopping out? Don't you know they got sick? Don't you imagine the wives as they sought to find something to prepare for their family to eat, something clean enough that they'd give to their babies, and they looked in the, in the barrels of grain, and they looked in the cruises of oil, and everywhere they looked, those, those slimy, filthy frogs had found their way. Don't you know it just got discouraging? Don't you imagine they just got sick of it? And yet, Pharaoh wanted one more night. It's been said before that we won't become broken from our sin until we become broken over our sin. And there's lots of folks that are in the bondage of sin today that know that it's hurting them and they're tired of it and they're sick of it, but still they cling to one more night. You think about the things that he lived with, but think about the things that he laid aside. God was offering Pharaoh some things. And they were right there. Moses says, be it according unto thy word. You know what that means? That means the choice was Pharaoh's. Nobody could make those frogs stay a minute longer than Pharaoh wanted them to stay. All Pharaoh had to do was ask the Lord. And there's some things God would have done for him. I'd say first off, that one of the things that he laid aside when he made this decision was the forgiveness and the pardon of an almighty God. I know, I know, some will want to take me to the book of Romans and tell me how that Pharaoh was foreordained and, and how that, you know, he had no choice. But I don't believe that. Amen? I believe Pharaoh had a choice in the matter. Don't you? You say, but I thought the Bible says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. The Bible does say that. The Bible also says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Pharaoh made a choice to turn away from God. 
And when he did so, God used Pharaoh according to his own purposes. But Pharaoh made that choice and that decision. We could also have the same discussion about Judas. Could Judas have been saved? Well, I'd answer it this way. We know Judas wasn't saved, but Judas had the same choice we all had. Judas could have chosen to truly, in his heart of hearts, accept the Lord, but he refused. You say, but what would have happened? Well, the Lord said, woe unto him. Offenses must come, but woe unto him by whom the offenses come. In other words, Judas bore some responsibility for the decisions that he made. Why? Because they were his own decisions. Was God sovereign enough to know that and to use it according to his own purposes? Of course God was. But Judas didn't make those decisions to help God. Judas made those decisions because he wanted to do for himself. Pharaoh had a choice to make. All he had to do was ask the Lord's forgiveness, and God would have forgiven him. You say, why didn't he, preacher? Well, we'll talk about it in a moment, but can I ask you something? Why don't you? And why don't I? When we have sin in our lives, we know if any man sin, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All you have to do is ask forgiveness. Say, but preacher, I ain't got any frogs in my life. You probably do if you got to looking hard enough. There's probably some heartache that you don't have to live with. There's maybe some discouragement that is not just God's purging, but it is some uh, sin in your life. There's probably some things that are afflicting you that could be gone. All you have to do is ask forgiveness. I think he laid aside the pardon of an Almighty, but I think he laid aside the prayer of an intercessor. Moses says, glory over me. When, when shall I intercede for you? We'll talk here in a moment about the role that Moses played. But suffice it to say that in the absence of a personal relationship that Pharaoh had with the Lord, and Pharaoh didn't have a personal relationship at that time, nor did he ever. But in the absence of that, Pharaoh acted like an intercessor for him. He said, Moses, I want you to come intercede for me. Moses came and said, here I am. All you have to do is tell me when. And he still said, tomorrow. You know, that's true of you and me. You might say, why would God hear me? Well, there's no reason God should hear you. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And there's, there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And we have an high priest which can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities and was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Listen, there's someone to hear your calls. And there's someone to carry your prayers. But you've got to come to Him. He won't force your hand. Listen, it'll be a good day in your Christian life when you'll realize that God doesn't make anyone do anything. They do it of their own free choice. And if you're sitting around waiting on God to make you, you're always going to be waiting. You've got to make the choice. You've got to make the decision. If God merely wanted people that always behaved instinctively with no choice according to His will, then the angels would have sufficed. But He created mankind that we might choose Him. Choose Him out of love. Choose Him out of grace. Choose Him out of worship. Choose Him out of holiness and and, and awestruckness. And so if you're waiting on God to make you, He'll never make you. You've got to make the decision. I think probably He laid aside the pardon of an Almighty and the prayer of an intercessor, but I think also He laid aside the purging of His affliction. Moses said, all you have to do is ask me, and I'll take it away. I'll take it away. 
You say, but preacher, I thought you just said that even if God forgives us, there are consequences. There were consequences for him. In fact, if you go a little later on, when God did destroy the frogs, he left them there in the land and they had to pile them up in heaps. And the Bible said that they stank. But you know what God did? God created a a hidden invisible line that nobody but them frogs could see and said, don't cross this line. You know what the forgiveness of God does? You say, preacher, I've sinned. I've messed up. I've made mistakes. That's true. You probably have. I've made mistakes. But do you know what God's grace does? God forgives you and He draws a hidden invisible line that nobody can see but Him and Satan. And He says, this is the point of forgiveness. And nothing goes beyond this. He'll live with some consequences of his sin, but he was forgiven, and there's nothing left to accuse him of. I was reading something, and some of you may have read it with me, and this struck me, this encouraged me, and I wanted to share it with you. A preacher was talking about the ashes that are a part of the sacrifices in Levitical law, the fire and the ashes. And there were very distinct and particular things prescribed to do with the ashes after a sacrifice was given. And this commentator made the point that even in the ashes we have a beautiful message because the embers of a fire might be able to be stirred and oxygen applied and air blown upon it and fuel given to it and the fire might be able to ignite again and burn once again. But once all you have is the ashes left, you can stir them through all eternity and never again will they light and ignite and burst into flames. He said, in these we have a fit picture of the place that the believer stands in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has already paid our debt at Calvary. Those fires have already burned. Stir the ashes if you want. And Satan can stir the ashes as he pleases, but he'll get no more judgment fire from God. We stand justified in Jesus Christ. And this commentator told a story about a great fire that was sweeping across a prairie plain. And a father, was him and his family lived right in the path of this destructive fire. And he went out into the middle of the field and he, and he kindled a fire at his feet and it took off and it burnt a large swath of ground away. And the father looked at his children as he could see that fire breaking across the plain and speeding towards them at breakneck speeds. He called to his family and he said, Come and stand where the fire has already burned. When that great fire came, it just merely passed around them and moved on. You know why they were safe? Because where they stood, the fire had already burned. And there was nothing left to burn. Let me tell you something. In the personal Lord Jesus Christ, when we come, when we ask forgiveness of Him, we're standing somewhere where the fire has already burned. And though the accuser of the brethren may come and seek to... Uh, to lodge all sorts of complaints and to file all sorts of charges against us. If we've been to Calvary and if we've asked forgiveness and if we've pled the blood of Jesus Christ, there's nothing left for Him to accuse us of. We may live with some consequences of our sins. There was a hidden boundary that those frogs could not pass. So in our lives there is a boundary marked by the blood of Jesus Christ which Satan cannot pass and lodge accusations against us. You think about what he lived with, and you think about what he laid aside. But I want to say a word, and I'll be done, about what he loathed to do. All he had to do was ask forgiveness. But he refused to do it. Why was that? What was it that Pharaoh wanted with one more night with these frogs? Why was it he refused? Well, I think there's a few things. I think, first off, 
that Pharaoh refused to give up his sin. You know why? He didn't want to let go. He was scared of letting go. You know what Pharaoh thought in his mind? This is our workforce. How will our economy survive if I let go of these Hebrew slaves? If I let go of them, they're going to go out and they're going to multiply in the desert and they're going to get confederates and allies and they're going to come back and attack us and and take us over. It's just too dangerous to let them go. And I will not. You know, that's the same lie the devil tells us today. Some of you right now, in your heart of hearts, you're sitting there thinking, but preacher, I just can't. I just can't. I know it's sin, but I can't let it go. Preacher, I know it's wrong, but I can't let it go. I know it's hurting me, but I can't let it go. And you've got a thousand excuses as to why. Here's the problem. You have to contradict the Word of God to believe those excuses. The Bible presents clearly, man is always better off when he's yielded to God. Always better off when he's yielded to the Lord. Always better off with sin out of his life. And you know, at the end of the day, he just didn't want to give that sin up. There's no telling how many people, listen now, there's no telling how many people die and go to hell. Not because God won't forgive them. Not because they've sinned too much, but because they refuse to come to the Lord because they're terrified of giving up some pet sin. Something in their life that they're clinging to and holding to, like a life preserver, and they say, I can't live without it. I must have it. If you've ever raised children, you've seen children do that. Some toy, some triviality, something that isn't going to make a bit of difference, but in that moment, that's all they can see. And because that's all they can see, they think that's all they've got. There may be a whole toy chest in the bedroom. Not to mention all of the bounty and all of the love and all that their parents would seek to give them. But in that moment, all they can see is that toy. And they refuse to let it go. We're a lot the same way. Let me tell you something. You could never imagine the things in God's treasure chest of grace and love and mercy. All of the bounty... You say, oh, I've got a pretty good idea, preacher. No, you don't. Because I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither hath it entered into the hearts of man what God hath prepared for them that love. You don't have a clue what God wants to do for you. Neither do I. And yet here you are clinging to this little pet sin, terrified that you can't live without it. I think he didn't want to give up his sin. I think he didn't want to give praise to God. Moses says something interesting, and the commentators fuss and argue. Let me tell you something. If you think Baptist preachers fuss and argue, you ought to read these commentators. They never agree. And uh, commentators debate and discuss and dispute about what Moses meant when he said glory over me. I'll tell you what I think he meant. I think what he was saying is this. Pharaoh, you've been keeping all the praise for yourself. Now I want you to give some praise to me. You say, preacher, that seems awful arrogant. No, because you know what Pharaoh or what Moses was really saying? You don't have to turn there, but if you look at the previous chapter in verse number 1, chapter 7, verse 1, the Lord says to Moses, I have made thee a god to Pharaoh. I already said that Pharaoh had no relationship with the Lord. And so Moses stood as God before Pharaoh. And when he talked to Moses, he saw himself as communing with the Almighty. And so in a way, you know what Pharaoh, what Moses is really saying? He's really saying, Pharaoh, just give glory to God. 
just give glory. Just call God who He is. Just own up to the fact that He's God and you're not. If you know anything about ancient Egyptian culture, you know that pharaohs literally believed themselves to be God. Not just godly, not just godlike. They really believed that when they were crowned pharaoh, that they became divine. And you know why pharaoh didn't want to give in? You know why he didn't want to give up his sin? Because he thought he was dealing one God to another. Let me tell you something. You say, that's not me. Oh, you'd be surprised. You know what we're saying? You know what we're implying when we refuse to give up our sin? We're saying, I know what's best for me better than God knows what's best for me. When we refuse to acknowledge, when we refuse to yield, when we refuse to bow the knee, what we're really saying is I'm just as mighty, I'm just as powerful, I'm just as omniscient, I know what's best for my life, I know what's going to make me happy, I know what I need to do, and God has no business telling me I can run my own life. What we're really saying is I'm God enough for me. God, you just worry about everyone else. He refused to give praise to God. He refused to acknowledge God. You know, a lot of times when we spend another night with the frogs, it's not really that we love the frogs. It's just that we don't want to admit defeat. You know, I think that was one of them too. I think he didn't want to give up his sin and he didn't want to give praise to God. But I think finally that he didn't want to give in to God's chastening. Sometimes it's a matter of principle and a matter of pride with us. You know that? Uh, I heard the illustration given one time that there's a difference between being right and being dead right. You ever heard that before? Uh, the man that is walking across the street and he's got the green light to walk across and a bus is coming down through the pathway and he knows that it's his uh, prerogative to walk across that street, but because he sees the bus coming, he doesn't. He's right. Am I right? But the person that walks out anyway, just to prove a point, he's dead right. Amen? He's dead right. Man, we're so prideful. We are such prideful creatures. And I know people that have wrecked their life just to prove a point. Just to show that nobody was going to tell them. That's what Moses was, or that's what Pharaoh was doing. Pharaoh acknowledged that God was able. He knew God would forgive him. But he didn't want to admit defeat. He didn't want to own up to the fact that God had given him more than he could handle. Let me tell you something. Whatever it is in your life, God's ready to take it away. God's, you say, preacher, I'm not done with it yet. Well, no, but maybe you should be. He wasn't done with the children of Israel. You know something interesting? I've got a feeling that in the entire time that these ten plagues were going on, probably not a lick of work got done in Egypt. You ever stopped and thought about it? Probably not a bit of work got done. I mean, you can't work when there's a plague of lies. You can't work when there's total darkness. You know what? His sin in hanging on to the children of Israel, it wasn't even benefiting him in any way any longer. He just refused to let it go. And some of you, listen, it's not even that you love your sin so much, it's that you like the idea of it. And some of you, it's that Satan has bullied you into believing you can't live without it. You can't live without that in your life. You won't make it. But who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe the Lord or are you going to believe the devil? Who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe yourself or are you going to believe the Spirit of God? You've got a choice. We're all of us, man. We're famous for things that we're going to do tomorrow, right? Christians are real good at getting things done tomorrow. But it's a today sort of day. Am I right? 
why the Holy Ghost said that today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, because nobody ever gets anything done on a tomorrow. They do it on a today. Pharaoh had a choice to make, and he said tomorrow. Now, some of you, you have a choice to make. I don't know what's going on in your life. And listen, if somebody spoke to your heart, it wasn't me, so it had to be him. And if God's dealing with your heart, you have a choice now. Are you going to say today, Lord, I'm done with my sin today. Lord, I'm done with that that has afflicted my life today. Or are you going to, like Pharaoh, say, tomorrow, Lord, tomorrow. You've probably been saying tomorrow for a lot of yesterdays. When are you going to say today? Today is the day that I'll surrender my life to the Lord.